Mike Rags and Todd Burlich with a Blue Gold Report podcast. Fighting Irish sports from the inside out. Subscribe to the Blue Gold Report. It's not just talk, it's the Blue Gold Report. Welcome to another edition of Blue and Gold Report, podcast, radio show, all of the above. We're brought to you by Dio McComb and Sons, funeral homes in Fort Wayne, Indiana. We had the band back together for one week. It was Rags and I sitting together doing our thing, but Rags got called out on assignment today. So my name is Todd Burlidge. I'm a writer for Blue and Gold Illustrated, Associated Press, among other things. I'm going I'm to fly solo. So as I offered a couple weeks ago, send your condolences after the show if need be. But I'll do my best to hold this thing together. Got a lot to talk about. Some strange doings on the recruiting trail, which was kind of a funny story that I'll share a little bit later. Just kind of want to go through the depth chart here, both offense and defense. See what we have here. See if there's some battles that are going to heat up in time for fall camp or if it's pretty well set. And finally, we'll get to the opponent preview. Uh, it's Pittsburgh's turn. We've done Ball State. We've done Vanderbilt. and We've done Syracuse. Pittsburgh is up next. We're going to wrap up the show with an interview, about a 10-minute interview with Tom Reese, quarterback's coach. He talks about a lot of different things, mainly, you know, Brandon Wimbush trying to improve his psyche, those types of things, working on mechanics, and sort of how Tom Reese applies what he did here as the starting quarterback into what he expects his his room to do. So we'll get to that a little bit later, but as we start every show out, I have a five-pack, a five-pack of Blue Gold Nuggets. Let's start with some hoops, NBA-style, actually. Just kind of an update on what the guys are doing um, that are in the NBA. None of it's all that good news, to be honest with you. Pat Connaughton, he has been cut by the Portland Trailblazers after three seasons. Really had a breakout year this year. Finally had some minutes. An average about 10 points a game and four or five rebounds. And did a really nice job. I was surprised they didn't hold on to him because he's slowly, you know, he's just kind of made steady progress. So I was texting with him a little bit because I want to get him on the show next week. And uh, he said, hey, it's just business, man. I liked it out here in Portland, but it's just business. He said he can't wait to play him, so that was kind of funny. So we wish him well. We'll certainly keep track of his uh, progress and where he might land. And again, I hope to have him on the show live uh, next week. So that is in the works, and I think it's going to happen. Matty Farrell, obviously the point guard for Notre Dame this past season. He is playing summer ball with the Miami Heat. He's not getting much of a chance, to be honest with you. In three games, through three games, he's played only 23 minutes um, he's two of nine from the field and one of four from three. So he's not shooting the ball. He's shooting the ball more like a kumquat than he is a basketball. He has two assists and two turnovers. Um, so Maddie's trying to do his best to either make a G League team and maybe try to ride it out that way, or perhaps he he seems like a good candidate to maybe uh, end up overseas. Bonzi Colson. Uh, we all know Bonzi Colson's tragic story from last year with the double broken foot. Well, that foot is still bothering him. He was supposed to play with the Cleveland Cavaliers summer league team, uh, but at this point they had to pull the plug on that because he's still having some issues with uh, after trying to recover from that foot surgery. Probably wouldn't matter since he was undrafted. I don't think that Bonzi Colson was ready to just jump in and make an NBA roster as an undrafted free agent. I don't. I think he will someday as people get to know him and get to know his game a little bit more. And I think, but I do think he will be on that G League route, that developmental league route that Demetrius Jackson and some other Notre Dame players have taken. That's going to be the only route he's able to go, but he needs to get healthy first. So we'll wish him well, but uh, really he's not going to have much of a chance this summer to showcase anything. Um, but I don't think that'll be the end of the world for him. And again, if it doesn't work out here in the States, certainly there's going to be a lot of opportunity for him overseas. Jaron Grant, uh, obviously a teammate of Connaughton's from uh, four years ago. 
He is now with his fourth team in three years since being drafted in the first round of the NBA. He's now moving on to Orlando after a couple years stint in Chicago that was a total disaster. And I don't really think any fault of Grant's, to be honest with you. One day he'd be starting and playing well and getting major minutes, and then the very next game he wouldn't even play. Coach's decision. <laughs> so I don't think he really knew where he fit in. I'm not sure the coaches or, or the brass there in Chicago knew where he fit in, but obviously he didn't fit in. So he's on his way out of town, off to Orlando, and we wish him well. We'll keep track of him. I mentioned Demetrius Jackson a little bit. They are so guard-heavy. Um, I think he is on his last leg with the Boston Celtics here. We'll see if he even lasts in the G League. So it's kind of your NBA roundup for for the Notre Dame dudes. Uh, nine, uh, we, we talked about the 27 football recruiting class from 2018. It's actually the biggest class Brian Kelly has brought in here. And all in all, what was it? Um, it was the biggest class period since 2006. So 2006 going all the way back to Charlie Weiss there, the 27-person class. But they added nine freshman walk-ons, and these are preferred walk-ons. These are nice football players that had some scholarship offers, most of them secondary schools, Ivy League schools, those types of things. Uh, certainly not a lot of marquee names here. Um, but I wanted to mention it because these these kids are very important when it comes to building your scout teams, your film rooms, those types of things. They fill in a lot of gaps, and again, they're quality players, the preferred walk-ons. So they, 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 they really are an important and integral part of the team that, that certainly are unsung, no, no doubt about that. Um, nine of them, uh, one quarterback, two wide receivers, two offensive line, two athletes that can either play cornerback or wide receiver, uh, one, pun- one, pun- one punter, and one long snapper. So that's a little bit of an insurance policy right there in case something happens, especially in the long snap front. If, uh, if, if there's an injury there, you have somebody you can plug in. So nine preferred walk-ons have been added. Phil Jerkovich, we know him. He is the Philadelphia, or I'm sorry, the Pennsylvania quarterback, five-star everything, all-world guy. On campus now, actually, Mike Varell of the, uh, the South Bend Tribune did a great piece on him. You should Google that, look that up. He went out to Pennsylvania and spent some time with him and uh, got to know the family a little bit and really really has a nice account of how hard this kid works. Well, he continues, he's on campus here at Notre Dame, but he continues to garner awards um, in terms of his, his high school accolades. As a matter of fact, he was just named this past week Pennsylvania Male Athlete of the Year. Easy decision here. I mean... Led his team to a 6A title in football, and he led his team to a 6A, 6A Final Four in hoops. Uh, he was the leading scorer. He averaged 16 points a game in hoops and left there with 1,600 career points. Uh, that's, Pine, that's Pine Richland High School there in Gibsonia, Pennsylvania. Um, football, obviously, is uh, his bread and butter here. This past season, he threw for 3,969 yards. 39 TDs, not too shabby there. Oh, and by the way, he added another 1,200 rushing yards with 24 TDs. So he's believed, uh, according to the folks that gave this award out, he's believed to be the first player in the big school division, 6A's the big school division, the first kid in at least 50 years to be named first team both in basketball and football. So it tells you what kind of special athlete Notre Dame is getting. Uh, let's see, where are we here? Bobby Dodd Award. The watch list is out, and Brian Kelly is one of the 20 coaches named on this watch list, That the award that obviously goes to the best football coach in America. I don't know. These watch lists are kind of a little bit overblown, but they're kind of fun, fun to plug in anyways. Uh, for what it's worth, four opposing coaches for Notre Dame are on that list as well. Justin Fuente, he's Virginia Tech, Jim Harbaugh, Michigan, obviously, Clay Helton, USC, and David Shaw, Stanford. So uh, Brian Kelly, a couple years removed from a lousy four-win season, 
is now getting a little bit of pub, a little bit of preseason pub. And finally, here we go. No date has been set, but it was announced this week that Garth Brooks will play the first concert in the history of Notre Dame Stadium. Um, and more than likely, he will sell out all 80,000 feet uh, seats. He is obviously a very popular artist. Again, no date has ever been, uh, has been set. Um, he actually played here at the Joyce Center back in 1994, so he's a little bit familiar with campus. And he also, I thought this was more, more, probably the most interesting little point of him coming to town, was he was actually offered a, out of high school, he was actually offered a partial football scholarship to Notre Dame, but he couldn't afford the partial, <laughs> what the partial didn't cover. So he ended up going to Oklahoma State and ran track as a full scholarship athlete. So obviously a gifted runner there and a gifted athlete. Um, so uh, we will look forward to that. I don't know, again, don't know when the date is, but uh, it'll be happening in a stadium near you. And those are your blue gold nuggets. All right, I want to hit on recruiting here. Let's jump into that. Where are we here? This is obviously the time of year for camps and events, showcases, all those different kind of things. And Notre Dame's guys for the 2019 class are really kind of making a mark in some of these here. And I'm going to get to the Kyle Hamilton who just lit up the opening. Um, but two guys, Hamilton being one of them, um, are making big moves when it comes to recruiting rankings. Let's start with a teammate of Jerkovich's from Pine Richland High School. Offensive tackle Andrew Christophus. He's 6'6", 265 pounds. What he's been doing in his camps and catching the attention, he has now moved from, according to 24-7 Sports, he went from the number 349 ranked player in the country to number 137. That's a heck of a jump right there. That's almost a couple. It is. It is. It's 212 to be exact. And he also went from a three-star to a four-star. And I think the reason I mentioned that is now all four of the offensive linemen that are part of this class, all four of them are, four, are four-star picks. And let's see, the scholarship offers he had that he chose Notre Dame over, he committed on April 23rd, by the way, were Clemson, Florida, Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State. So a pretty esteemed list there. Um, so he, he made a big jump here in the latest recruiting rankings. I just mentioned Kyle Hamilton, the safety, 6'3", 188. He made a big jump, too, after his showing at the opening. He turned a lot of heads, made a lot of headlines uh, during his performance there near Dallas. Um, he's out of Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia, Marist High School. Um, he went from number 359, ranked overall, to number 156. And he also jumped from a three-star to a four-star. I have to admit, it was kind of interesting because when I saw the list of scholarship offers that Hamilton held, it seems strange to me that he was only a three-star recruit and ranked only as the 359th best player in the country when you consider Auburn, Clemson, Florida State, Georgia, LSU, Michigan, Ohio State, among others. So I think now that he's made this big recruiting jump, I think now that his profile fits a little bit better the offers he had. He's been he's been committed to Notre Dame since April 24th. I don't see either of these guys that I'm talking about here flipping anything. Uh, they both seem very much committed to Notre Dame, and, and that's good news. As it stands now, the class of 2019, 17 total commits, verbal commits, and the class ranks number seven overall. So that was uh, just just some updates on how the kids are improving in their rankings. But this was funny. Now, this was probably my favorite story of the week. Okay, a guy by the name of T.J. Sheffield. He is he's ranked as the number 38 wide receiver in the country. He's from the Nashville, Tennessee area. He's a four-star guy. Had his offer from from Notre Dame and wide receiver coach Dell Alexander, and he decided to accept that offer last week. Made a big deal, put it up on Twitter. Whole works. Well, 
a funny thing happened on his way to South Bend. Um, Notre Dame called him back and said, you know what, uh, we're going in a different direction. We appreciate you wanting to commit to us, but we're not we're not offering anymore. So it felt kind of bad for him. I mean, it's embarrassing for one thing. Uh, but I don't know that I've ever seen that happen, where a kid thinks he's, the, the kid honestly believes that he's being offered a scholarship, makes a commitment, and then all of a sudden uh, that commitment's been yanked. So I thought that was interesting. He wrote this long note on Twitter. Um, I'm going to read some of it. I won't get into all of it, but... Here we go. After establishing a long-term relationship with Coach Alexander, the receivers coach for Notre Dame, I called him on the morning of 6th of July and stated him my intentions to commit. Coach Alexander then congratulated me on committing, and he spoke with my parents as well as stating that he looked forward to coaching me. Today I received a call from Coach Alexander stating that Notre Dame was not going to honor my commitment due to a change of plans. Coach Alexander stated that he should have let me know on the 6th of July that Notre Dame had different plans. As a result of the information that I received, today my recruitment is back open, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. But what a weird, what, 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 a, what a strange way for that to play out. Like I said, I feel kind of bad for the kid, in all honesty. That's kind of it for the recruiting front. It was a little bit of a slow week, other than that, that funny story. I kind of thought it was time. We're going to eventually, as we get closer to the season uh, on the show, we're going to really dive in depth into the position-by-position position groups and kind of give you exactly what's going on. Let's get into camp a little bit more before we do that, get camp started and get a better feel for what's going on. But I thought we'd take a flyby, just a flyby of the depth chart on both sides of the ball. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, start with the offense here, quarterback. Obviously, Brandon Wimbush would be your starter at this point. Ian Book. Then you have Avery Davis, who cross-trains that wide receiver and running back as well. And then for Jer- Phil Jerkovich, I think that would be your one, two, three, four at this point. Um, if Brandon Wimbush does not improve, and keep in mind he didn't even complete 50% of his passes last year, I I can honestly see Ian Book getting a chance, but I honestly, Phil Jerkovich is a special, special talent, and he's a leader, he's a natural leader, I know everybody wants to see the next man in, the brand new toy at Christmas, but uh, I, I honestly, it's going to, Wimbush, I believe is going to have a bit of a short leash here, and if he doesn't show some improvement, I don't think he's going to be in that starting role very long. Now, I do think he is going to show some improvement, uh, so we'll have to wait and see how that goes. But that's kind of that's where it stands now. I don't, I don't think there's any question that Brandon Wimbush will be your starting quarterback on opening day unless something very unexpected happens. Let's move on to offensive line at left tackle, Liam Eichenberg. He'll be making his first uh, starts and playing time over there at the very important position. He'll be backed up by Aaron Banks and Jarrett Patterson. At left guard, Alex Bars will be your starting, your starter. With Josh Lugg and Trevor Rulin backing him up. Center, the steady man, Sam Mustafer. Uh, he will be your starter there. Probably, arguably, the best center in the country, as a matter of fact. Trevor Rulin will back him up. And then Colin Grunhard behind him. Right guard, Tommy Kramer. Has quite a bit of experience, actually. He's played in a lot of games. He'll be your starter there with Dylan Gebbins behind him. And then right tackle, who Kramer and Hainsey actually split time at right tackle last year. Robert Hainsey will be your starter there. With Kramer backing up him and Cole Mabry behind working behind those two. I think that's pretty well set in stone with Eichenberg, Bars, Mustafer, Kramer, Hainsey moving from left to right there. Um, and it's a pretty solid crew. They only have 65 starts combined between them, which is certainly fall short, far short of what we had last year coming into last year. Um, when you're talking about Mike McGlinchey and Quentin Nelson, a lot of experience there as well as Mustafer. Um Last year's line was, there's a lot, big shoes to fill. And last year's line for Notre Dame was recognized as the best in the country with the Joe Moore Award. 
So, and when you're trying to replace two top 10 NFL draft picks in McGlinchey and Nelson, may not be easy, but I do think Coach Jeff Quinn, new head coach, first-year line coach, I should say, first-year line coach Jeff Quinn, has a lot of talent on this unit and a lot of great recruits coming in after this. So I think he's done a good job of coaching these guys, keeping them interested, and so I think they'll be in good hands at that position, and I think it is pretty well set in stone. Dexter Willi- uh, running back, Dexter Williams. Tony Jones Jr., flip a coin, take your pick. I we, we still we all still believe that Dexter Williams probably is going to miss a little bit of time to start the season, so that might give Tony Jones the upper hand when it comes to grabbing that starting job and holding on to that starting job. Then you have Jafar Armstrong and Jameer Smith, a couple guys that are obviously uh, working behind the two main dudes there. So this is an interesting position group, and Rags and I have talked about it at length. It's, it's a troublesome position group, especially if Williams has to miss some time. Not a lot of carries, and, and there's really been some health questions from both Jones Jr. and Williams. So we'll have to wait and see, you know, just the attrition at this group. When you talk about Dion McIntosh and C.J. Holmes being dismissed from the team, Josh Adams going to the NFL early, uh, certainly we're going to have to wait and see how this plays out. But uh, this one might be a little bit fluid, but if Dexter Williams is going to miss the first three, four games of the season, then certainly Tony Jones Jr. will be your starter. Moving on to wide receiver. Uh, outside receiver set, Miles Boykin, Javon McKinley behind him, and then Micah Jones behind him. That's that's not going to change. Slot receiver, Chris Fink, with Jafar Armstrong working behind him. That could be a little fluid, although Fink is a pretty solid, steady player, a veteran player. So I think I would probably give him the upper hand to hold on to that spot. And then outside receiver, I also think is set in stone with Chase Claypool. Michael Young will work behind him, and Kevin Austin is the third stringer there. Uh, Miles Boykin had a monster spring. I mean, ever since his catch against LSU, I believe it was a 55-yard game winner. He's just has been on the ascension, and he's doing a great job, and everybody's happy. Claypool had a great spring, great spring game for that matter. So that's a great one-two punch with Boykin and Claypool. I think you can see, you can go ahead and pencil them into the lineup. We'll have to wait and see what, what happens at the slot, but I think certainly Fink probably has the upper hand at this point. Tight end, this one's a little bit interesting. Alizé Mack had a great spring. He's listed as the starter. Cole Komet, another great player. Dick Nick, Nick Weisher and Brock Wright. This is a solid group of tight ends. Alizé Mack, certainly, when it comes to physical talents, is the best of the group. We know that. But he's been a head case, and he hasn't really held up his end of the bargain when it comes to staying on the field, staying eligible academically, you name it, right across the board there. Um, so... It's one of those situations, again, we mentioned Dexter Williams. If, Al- if Alizé Mack can't hold on to this and he's not into it and his head's not into it, then certainly any of these other guys I mentioned, you can slip right in there and they'll do a great job. Now, Brian Kelly in the offense, uh, Chip Long, they like to use a lot of tight ends. Um, so it's not like you can't play two or three of these guys at the same time. And you'll see plenty of that, obviously. But certainly if Mack can reach his potential and you throw out Claypool, Boykin and Mack, that is one heck of a, of a receiving core right there. So this is going to be a fun position to watch because there is a lot of talent there. But I think Mack, again, shines above the rest. But, hey, this is his last go-around, man. He, he's fell short of ex- expectations so far big time. Let's flip sides of the ball here. Defensive line, start at defensive end. Dalen Hayes will start at one of them. Julian Okwara, he's a nice player, too. And Jameer Jones, that's a really solid lineup there at defensive end. Certainly Hayes has the experience. Uh, they will rotate a lot of bodies at the, along this defensive line, and they have the talent to do so. Um, but Hayes, an experienced and fine player. Uh, at defensive tackle, obviously moving over to the three technique, Jerry Tillery. That's going to be a big move, uh, moving him over there. I think it's going to have a huge impact and a positive impact on just how good he can be. 
Uh, Myron Tagovailo, Amosa. He's a great player, too. A nice backup to Tillery. Has really given him quality minutes, even as just a young guy. And then Jason, the freshman, Jason Adiamiola. I butch that every time. Dang it. Uh, anyhow, so that's your three-pack of tackles. A lot of talent there as well. Tillery will get the bulk of the snaps. Amosa, Myron will get uh, his fair share, though, for sure, as they try to keep fresh bodies in there. At the nose, where Tillery used to play, Jonathan Bonner will start there. Another experienced player, Kirk Heinish, a great. He's had a huge spring, gotten a lot of praise from Brian Kelly. Micah Drew Treadway, another fine player who has not emerged just yet. He might get his chance this year. Probably a little bit of an underachiever, actually. And then Darnell Yule in that order, one, two, three, and four. Bonner, solid contributor. A position switch for him as him and as he and Tillery flip flip uh, positions. I think that'll work out well for both players. In all honesty, and then again. Kirk Heinish, he's going to get a lot of playing time. He's a nice player. Brian Kelly raves about him, and and he's going to get a lot of snaps there as well. He's been, he's been an impactful guy that maybe you haven't heard a whole lot about. The other defensive end, Khalid Kareem, um, he has emerged as the starter. Uh, Ogundeji, he will back him up, although this is mainly, you know, again, there are so many talented players here that you can rotate Um they're going to rush a lot of guys in here, and it's nice to have that. It's nice to have that luxury for sure. I mean, Clark Lee, the defensive coordinator, said the first year defensive coordinator, but not the first year as far as working with the Notre Dame defense, called this the most steady position group on his defense, which surprised me a little bit because we're going to get to linebacker here shortly and talk about a lot of experienced guys. But he he really likes what he sees up front. And everybody out there knows that defensive line probably is the most important part if you're going to try to win a championship or make the playoffs. I think it all starts up front when it comes to defensive play. Moving back to the linebacker level, in the middle, Tavon Coney, the team's leading tackler from last year. I think everybody thought he was going to go pro, and he didn't. They were able to lure him back, and what a get that's going to be. Huge get. Jonathan Jones will back him up. Jack Lamb will play some. I expect Jones to play quite a bit. Uh, behind Coney. Lamb is uh, just a young guy, so I'm not exactly expecting a lot of snaps from him, but he's a talented player. On the weak side, Drew Tranquil. We all know about Drew Tranquil. What a player. Actually, I saw him on campus the other day. My word, that kid is a, he's a beast. He is an absolute beast. I've never seen him look this this healthy and ready to go. Uh, Jordan Gemmark-Heath will back Tranquil up. He'll get a little bit of playing time. And DJ Morgan, I don't think we'll see a whole lot of him. Um, but again, when you're talking about Coney and Tranquil as your linebackers, man, what a good Couple uh bad battle boys there at the rover, filling in for Tranquil from last year. Asmar Bilal, he's done a nice job. Uh, he's done a nice job, and I think he'll hold that down. Jeremiah Owusu Karamoa, he will back this Bilal up. Shane Simon, he's an interesting as he sits third in this depth chart. True freshman, he is a dynamic player. It's going to be interesting. He's going to get snaps. He's going to play. Brian Kelly already said, and we're not. We can't keep him off the field. It's going to see. It's going to be interesting to see how much he's able to learn and digest and see if he can really play himself into a big part of this rotation. So Shane Simon, keep an eye on that name. And then Isaiah Robertson will back up Simon at this point. It's obviously a little bit fluid here. But to have Coney and Tranquil back is is crazy because they both could have went. I, I expected Tranquil to come back. He's just such a Notre Dame kid. Um, but at the same time, you never know. He's had a couple injuries. Do you really want to stick around and risk that again? Uh, but to have Coney and Tranquil back... Really, not only does it pro- provide this unit and this entire defense with a lot of production, a lot of leadership from these two guys, especially Tranquil, now a two-time captain. So that's good news there. That's why, you know, when you talk about Clark Lee saying that his defensive front 
is is what he's most satisfied with so far. And then you give that list of fine linebackers. It just kind of gives you a little bit of a glimpse into how good this defense could be. Move on to cornerback. On the left side, Julian Love, one of the best in the business. Um, and then a lot of a lot of folks think he is the best cornerback out there in all college football, or certainly he would be a top five on everybody's list. He will be a starter, obviously, dynamic playmaker. Dante Vaughn and Noah Boykin will back him up. On the right side, Sean Crawford, it appears. Troy Pride Jr., that could be a little bit of a camp battle right there. Crawford versus Pride. Uh, Tariq Bracey will be the third stringer there. But I think when you're looking at a potential battle when it comes to camp, that Crawford Pride thing could be something. Although, you know, I think they probably play Crawford at nickel. They'll both be on the field, um, that's for sure. But uh, 20 pass breakups for Love last year. School record, not, not even close. Um, he had two touchdowns on, on, on interceptions, which is crazy. Uh, but, you know, some people say that uh, Crawford is, you know, perhaps is, is right up there with him. So we'll have to wait and see how this plays out. But uh, when Crawford was healthy, he was awesome. When he isn't, well, who could be at that particular position? Cornerback's a tough position unless you're 100%. Let's move on to safety. A guy that absolutely had a bunch of rave reviews. We didn't get a chance to see him last year. The Navy transfer, Alohi Gilman. Um, they tried to get him eligible for last season. The NCAA wouldn't allow it, so he had to actually sit it out. He has three years of eligibility left, and he, everything you t- the coaches, the teammates, everybody you talk to say this guy is the real deal. Really looking forward to watching him play. And this this unit, which was really a deficiency last year, I believe it was the first time in potentially forever, as a matter of fact, that Notre Dame didn't have an, an interception from the safety position. I thought that was kind of interesting from last year. But Alohi Gilman will be a starter at free safety, it appears because Nick Coleman's been pushing him a little bit. And then Houston Griffith, the hotshot freshman, he's going to find some playing time too. So that position's loaded up pretty good, as is really strong safety with Jalen Elliott. A little bit of an underachiever there, but I think that Elliott Devin Stutz still think could be a little bit interesting to watch at that other safety position. I don't know, maybe they'll even shuffle him around, and perhaps a Houston Griffith can find his way to starting at strong safety, or a Nick Coleman. You know, I think these guys are a little bit more interchangeable than perhaps most other position groups. And then Derek Allen, another great young player here, um, a very highly touted recruit. He'll be there as well. So um, we'll have to wait and see if this goes. But again, this safety position took a, I mean, it, it underwent a huge upgrade in talent, and it's going to be a fine position group for him. And finally, specialist Justin Yoon, solid, steady kicker, didn't miss an extra point last year. I want to say missed three or four field goals, but Hit a couple big ones, hit a couple bombs in the Citrus Bowl to help Notre Dame went to that four-point win, 21-17. Jonathan Dorer will back him up. And then fifth-year senior Tyler Newsom, who was voted a captain at punter. I don't know that I've ever seen that. Tyler Newsom, uh, obviously just a steady guy, knows the ropes, team leader. You can't ask much more from him. So that's kind of a very early, probably too early look at what exactly the depth chart is going to, how the depth chart is going to play out. Um, subject to change, obviously, very much subject to change. All right, we've been doing our opponent previews. What I've been doing is I've been going from worst, what I've considered the easiest team on Notre Dame's schedule, and kind of counting them down to the best. Started with Ball State. That was, I thought, the 12th easiest, the, the easiest team on the schedule. Then I went to Vanderbilt, and then we did Syracuse last week. I, I, I have Pittsburgh. I have Pittsburgh as this week's opponent. So I consider the Pittsburgh the fourth easiest opponent on the schedule. A lot of history between these two, Notre Dame and Pittsburgh. They've played, Notre Dame has a 48-21-1 and 
48-21 advantage in the series. They do have one tie. So what is that, 70 games? 70 games. Uh, last time they played was in 2015. Um, at Heinz Field, Notre Dame was up 42-17, kind of really demolishing Pitt pretty good. The, the Panthers got two late touchdowns in the last five minutes. Kind of made it look a little bit more reasonable at 42-30. to uh, Deshaun Kaiser was brilliant, 19 of 26 for 262 yards and five TDs. Five TDs. Never had more than that in a game. Uh, he also ran for a sixth. So uh, when it comes to racking up the touchdowns, that was one of Kaiser's best games, if not the best game that he had. Three of his scoring tosses were to Will Fuller. Um, he had seven catches for 152 yards. And Josh Adams rushed for 147 for sure. When it comes to recruiting rankings, I always like to look at the classes here, going back to 2014, since that's kind of the players that are here. Pittsburgh's a little bit all over the place. They were they go from 44 to number 65 to 29 to 38 to 36. So it looks like they hover around that 40 mark, maybe a little bit below that. Um, Notre Dame, as we mention every week in these things, they, they've been top 15 right across the board in those. Um, depending on where you look, you can even find them in the top 10 sometimes. So certainly when you're talking about player quality, and this is another game that Notre Dame will hold the advantage. The game is actually going to be played on October 13th, um, so somewhat early in the season. What would that be? Well, that'd probably be what game five? I guess it's. I guess we're moving through the middle part of the schedule in, in mid October. Pittsburgh was five and seven last year. It was a disappointing third season for head coach Pat Narduzzi. If you remember Pat Narduzzi, he was the fine, fine defensive coordinator um, at Michigan State, and so. Um, Big things were under Mark D'Antonio. Big things were thought of him when he took the job at Pittsburgh. He hasn't necessarily delivered at this point, but uh, um, we'll have to, let's see, what does he have here? Let's see, last year they edged Youngstown State, a game you would have thought they would have won big. They edged them 28-21, and then, so they won that game. And then the next six games, they won one only one one of those. So they went one and five, so there's a two and five start. Um, they got beat at home badly by Oklahoma State, 59-21. And uh, 20, and they also were beaten at Syracuse, 27-24. Um, they were beat 34-31 at home, and that's when, uh, at that point, that was against a North Carolina team that was 1-8. and eight. They're lousy. Now, to Pitt's credit, the Pitt's credit, I did say they got, they got to 5-7. and seven. Um, they darn near, they darn near won at Virginia Tech. It was 2014 loss, and they fell short of the goal line, or they were, they could have pulled that off. This is getting late in the season here. Then they actually closed the year with a 24-14 upset. If you guys remember this, it was a 24-14 upset of number two Miami. Miami went into that game 10 and 0, and Pittsburgh beat them. So they did close on a little bit of a high note, which I thought uh, I thought was worth noting. Um, with that big win, so maybe it gives him a little something in the preseason to build on. Um, Narducci, he needs to get this thing going. He's been eight and five, eight and five, and then he slipped to five and seven last year. So once a proud program, that's not exactly lighting it up. Eight and five, I guess, is respectable, but the five and seven, you don't you don't want to be trending that way. Um, now his defense does return nine starters, um, although it will have a new coordinator. Um, Josh Conklin will, will come in here from the Navy Academy. Um, Narduzzi hired Randy Bates. Um, he's a veteran coach. He's going to be the linebacker. He was a linebacker's coach at uh, Northwestern. So a few new faces on the coaching staff when it comes to the Panther defense. Um, on off- Offensively, sophomore quarterback Kenny Pinkett, uh, they're going to need him to uplift this unit. Um, keep in mind, his first start of his career was against Miami when they pulled that upset. So 
something to build on right there for sure. I mean, he he got it done, took care of the ball. You know, it was just more of an efficient showing. I think Miami made a lot of mistakes in that game, but he passed for 193 yards and one score, and he rushed for another 60 yards and had two touchdowns. So he's a versatile guy for sure. Um, the struggles were on offense last year, and I think that's why having this uh, having a little bit of momentum to finish the season. I think that's going to be great for him. They only averaged 24 points a game. That was 101st in the country. So, obviously, there's not a lot of skill position there at the Panthers. They're they're a little bit deficient offensively. But, hey, these groups, these teams have always played close games. I saw a stat there. Um, Where was it? uh, Let's see. I don't have it in front of me. But every game, all all, all but two of the last, all but two of the last five games, all but two of the last five games, were decided by one score or less between these two teams. And Pitts pulled a couple upsets. I remember one in particular, I believe it was 2013, uh, that Notre Dame was a heavy favorite and ended up getting knocked off by Pitt because of a lousy second half for the Irish. So we'll see how it pulls off. Uh, we'll see how we'll see how we, we got cooking here. But that's a little bit of a look at Pitt. Obviously a proud opponent for Notre Dame. Certainly you would think Notre Dame being a home game here will be a double-digit favorite. Um, you shouldn't. I wouldn't foresee many problems winning this game. Um, it might be one of those games that they get a chance to play some of these freshmen with that new redshirt rule. Um, perhaps if they can build a lead and Pittsburgh's not doing much offensively, they can get a Jerkovich or somebody else in there and, and try uh, and sample his ways. All right, let's see here. Last segment here. We've been talking a lot of quarterbacks. Wimbush, Book, Jerkovich. This is a... this. Interview with Tom Reese. It's about ten minutes long. It stretches back a little bit. Um, it's it's pre spring ball, but I think a lot of the messages and a lot of the things that Reese talks about in this still apply today, and that's why I wanted to use it. I really do because he just talks about trying to work on the mentality of Wimbush, toning out the noise, doing those types of things, and none of that, none of those missions are going to change um, once we get into fall camp. They're just not going to change. So I think all of it still applies. I thought it was a pretty good interview, so I thought I'd pop it in. And Tom Reese also, he opens up a little bit about how what he learned during his time playing quarterback, and he kind of applies that when he's trying to teach his guy. So here we go. Here's Tom Reese. Brandon takes a lot of uh, questions from the media, and I, and I think a lot of people that are name fans, it, it, they dwell a little bit on the negative, kind of forgetting that he had two really good months before November. Is it something where he just has to be able to, is he able to block out the noise? I mean, you you, you went through 30, 31 stars here, you had to block out the noise as well. Is it something you can teach him, or does he just kind of have to learn this and go along this offseason? Yeah, I think there's both. There's two aspects to it. One, you need to learn um, how to handle the outside noise, and the best thing to do is limit the um, exposure you have to it. So you don't need to be on your phone, you don't need to be on Twitter, you don't need to be reading articles. So that's one thing that I harp on him is, hey, when you're in this building, trust in the people that are here. These are the people that care about you. These are the people that know exactly what you're going through. These are the people that are going to have your back um, through the ups and the downs. So the first thing is to rely on the people that go through it with you and and block out as much of the outside distractions as you can. The second thing is as you become an older quarterback, um, you start to learn that and you start to manage those. And I think the biggest thing with Brandon is keep your confidence level up. I mean, we talk about it every time. When you step on the field, you should have the uh, belief that you're the best quarterback, best player on the field. And there are games where he takes over the game because of his ability. Um, and so he needs, you know, just to continue to harp on the confidence. I think confidence is a huge part of playing the position, um, especially at this university, especially, you know, when the uh, when the stakes are high. And that's something that you continue to build. But as you get older, it's something that comes more natural for quarterbacks. <laughs> winning, winning the Citrus Bowl mitigated this, but what 
did you have to kind of say to him, it's not, he was replaced in the game, and the, and the win makes it much better for him, obviously, but what did you kind of have to say to him heading into the offseason? Listen, I mean, it, there, nothing changes. You know, we, go, we talked as soon as the game was over. You know, you step into the building, you know, you expect to be the guy. Same thing to Ian. You expect to be the guy. You come to work with that mentality. You come to work with that attitude. The, the good thing in our room is we have an extremely close-knit group. Ian and Brandon, Avery, um, everyone is extremely close. We've built those relationships so that when, when you know, situations like that come up, you know, it's a team uh, decision. You know, we're in it to win this game. You know, they knew it going into the game. We're going to make the decision that gives us the best opportunity to win, and everyone in this room is on board. You know, they support one another like a brother, and, um, you know, their relationship helps mitigate some of that. Uh, but to answer your question, I mean, as soon as that game is over, hey, you step in that building, you're ready to be the guy, you're ready to roll. Tom, when, when Brandon and Ian were here the other day, we talked to them about competition, competing for number one, and you just said nothing changes. I, I mean, Brandon Wimbush, did he, did he lose his starting job in the Citrus Bowl, or is he still number one and Ian Book's still trying yeah, to get up? I mean, right now, um, you know, we're, we're taking the step forward where they're both getting a ton of work. Um, they're both getting opportunities with the ones and the twos. They're both getting, you know, the opportunity to go out there and make plays. And, um, you know, we're going to evaluate this as it, as it keeps going. Tommy, in, in 2013 especially, it seemed like the field vision, the decision making was a really quick process for you. I think you were only sacked eight times all year. How do you teach that to somebody else? Well, I couldn't run, so the ball had to come out quick. But um, I think just as you get older and as you start to understand um, defense, that's when you're able to play at a quicker tempo. You know, the game starts to slow down, you're able to see exactly what the defense is trying to do, where your outlet throws are. The deeper understanding of the playbook gives you the opportunity to know, hey, if I get this look, I can take my field hitch right now and I won't ever get touched. And I think the biggest thing is, one, you know, recognizing the defense, and two, understanding the playbook. If you understand what the defense is trying to do and where your answers are, that gives you the opportunity uh, to play fast. And the game starts to slow down for you. And you know, for my, my job now is to get those guys to the point where, hey, I'm recognizing exactly what this coverage is trying to do, and I understand what the play is called and where my outlet or where my answer is. So when you start to understand why you're calling a play for specific looks, it gives you the opportunity to really uh, process everything at the line and deliver the ball you know, on time. Where is Brandon in that process and relationship to maybe last November? Yeah, he's taking huge strides. I mean, by no means is he a finished product. By no means is, should he get complacent. But I think his understanding of the offense, his understanding of what defenses are trying to do has grown exponentially. And that comes with time. That comes with opportunities against live reps. That comes with you know his work off the field of studying and pushing himself to understand. And then it's my job to teach it. And um, you know, I think him and Ian have come a long way in just, in just understanding what we're trying to do and understanding you know, where we're trying to get the ball, uh, especially, especially in the pass game. In practice, how have you seen that he has taken strides? Obviously, he hasn't been game in a while. He won't for a while. Yeah, I just think his consistency level has been higher. Um, you know, that's the thing that I try to push both those guys to do is, hey, when you step into this building, we want you to be the same guy every day. And I tell them, I'll be the same person, and that's the one that and we're expecting for you to, to match that. So the consistency level has been higher. 
um, in terms of just delivering the ball on time, delivering the ball accurately, understanding you know what the read is and where we're trying to go with it. So I think the biggest stride for him is just it's been a level of consistency, and that needs to continue to grow. As a quarterback, you can't have these ups and downs. It needs to be you know smooth and steady and, and, and consistent, and I think that's where we're trying to get uh, both those guys right now. He struggled with some of his shorter throws last year. Coach Kelly said that he's been better this spring, and, and Brandon himself said the same thing. What, what are the keys to being successful? I mean, generally speaking, throwing the football to the running back. Yeah, I think just mechanically there was things that we needed to clean up. You know, we needed to speed up his tempo with his feet. We needed to get his target line set better to the, to the target. And then we needed to just everything to match his tempo. So when your feet are going fast and your arm goes slow, that's going to create issues. If your feet are going slow and your arm speeds up, that's going to create issues. So the, the good tempo, good rhythm with his throws will help push him uh, to be more consistent, to be more accurate. Is he overthinking some of those throws? <sighs> You're going to have to ask him. Yeah, I mean um, – you know, you don't, you don't think so, but at the same time, I mean, there are mechanic things that will clean up, and then there's just a level of, hey, just believe in it. Trust it. Trust your eyes. Trust what you're doing, and play full speed. What does Ian have to do to take his game to the next level? Yeah, I think Ian's biggest thing, and he needs to push, is, hey, you need to be, you know, sharp mentally, and then accuracy can never be an issue with you, and you have to be the most accurate quarterback we have. You need to recognize the coverage. You need to put the ball exactly where it needs to be. Um, you know, he needs to, to recognize coverage, push himself to understand where we're trying to go with the ball, and then when he delivers it, you know, you need to be as accurate as anyone in the country. Say for you. That yeah, he can run. Like I said, he can run. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I knew for myself to play, I needed to be the smartest guy in the room and the most accurate. And then, you know, all the other intangibles you hope, you know, come along and they help pull you through. But um, there's similar conversation I've had with Ian. I mean, you need to be the sharpest guy and the most accurate to, uh, to really play at a high level. Brandon mentioned, the other day, oh, sorry. Brandon mentioned the other day that he, I guess, over spring break, maybe went to go work with Taylor Kelly, and he's done some other things to kind of help with his routine. How does that work with the things that you're teaching? Yeah, I mean, um, there's you know a ton of consistencies there, and that's something that you make sure of. Um, but in terms of just developing a routine, we want all of our guys to be in a routine. We want all of them to, to have, um, you know, when – when things don't go perfect, hey, revert back to your routine. Revert back to, to what you know is going to help you um, to be consistent and, and to help you perform at a high level. So, I mean, Brandon's done a ton of work here, elsewhere, on the field, off the field, to put him in a position to be successful. And when you work that hard, usually good things happen. So, you know, Brandon's taken some strides really to improve his game, to improve his consistency. You know, extremely proud of the way he's prepared himself. Last spring, hardly knew anything about Ian Book and skill sets and all that. He quitted him well in the spring game, but even then, he's talking about there was an acceptance that he knew he was number two. Have you seen uh, a change since that Citrus Bowl on what he performed as far as his attitude toward competition and uh, buying for that? Yeah, I think, you know, even outside the Citrus Bowl, all year when Ian was asked to come in, he did a nice job for us. You know, he, he performed and he, you know, I hate the word gamer because it gets overused, but when the live bulls were showing, you see it in the spring game last year, you saw it in opportunities this year. I mean, I think there was one game where he came in and went like nine for nine or something, you know, late. But, you know, his stride, again, like where Brandon's taking a huge stride is consistency. That's what Ian needs to, to continue to work on. I mean, he can't have – you know, the, some lows in practice and then raise it all of a sudden when we get the team. He needs to be steady throughout the whole process. And for him, 
um, you know, you see a different, you know, mentality, a different attitude where he's really attacking and he's really, you know, taking ownership of when, you know, when he's in there, he's taking ownership of the offense. And I'm proud to see the way he's responded and proud of the way he's he's come to work every day with the right mentality. You noted about Brandon that needed to block out the points. Did you sense at times last year that him being a first-time starter that perhaps he was paying attention too much to some of the outside yeah, I don't, you know, I don't know if it ever became an issue for him. You know, I think any time you're a first-year starter, especially in the way media and technology and social media, everything's right there at your fingertips. I think it's hard for, you know, a young man his age to block some of that out. And I think as the year went on, you know, we talked at length about, hey, you can't pay attention to that stuff. You just can't. I mean, I, I know it's tempting. I know it's right there in front of you, but you have to block that stuff out. So I think as the year went on, he did, you know, better and better at that. And I think this year it's, you know, on the wayside now. So, I mean, I don't think it ever became an issue, but it's definitely something any quarterback here, any young player here needs to learn. Hey, that that noise outside, I mean, it's going to get loud, but you can't you can't harp on it. Do you feel you blocked it out well? Uh, early on, no. I mean, early on, no. It was a struggle. I think, um, you know, especially with all you guys. I'm just, you know. But um, early on, you have to learn. I mean, you know, you're tempted to, hey, what are people saying? You know, I care what people think. But as you get older, you start to learn. Hey, all that really matters is when I'm in this building, when I'm on the field with my teammates, um, is their opinion and how I'm working and how I'm preparing myself. And everything else will take care of itself. I mean, if you work hard and do the right things, good things are going to come. And so as long as you keep your head down and do that, um, you know, that's what we expect of our quarterbacks. But, no, I mean, to be perfectly honest, early freshman year, even – 2011, my sophomore year, that stuff got to me a little bit. And, you know, it probably took, to be honest, probably took making a mistake off the field to learn how to block all that out. So, your dad's experience in the game, was he harping on that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, you don't listen to everything your dad tells him. But, um, yeah, no, and I don't know if he understands social media. I don't think he understands all that. But, um, and Twitter wasn't as big then as it even is now. And so, um, yeah, I mean, he's he's told me forever to block it out. And, you know, you try to be as mentally tough, but it wears on kids. I mean, you're a 19-year-old kid. You're an 18-year-old kid playing. And, um, you know, people are saying this stuff. It's going to get to you. But, you know, you come back and, I, you know, sit down with Zach. And, you know, we're just talking. And, you know, I got your back. And, and that's all you need to hear. And you move forward. So, Well, folks, that'll wrap it up. That's your latest edition of the Blue Gold Report. Again, brought to you by D.O. McComb and Sons. Find us, like us, share us, let us know, rate us, let me know what you think. Uh, I assume Mr. Rags will be back next week and we'll have our full band back together. But in the meantime, have a great weekend and we'll talk to you soon. This has been a presentation of Opt-In Productions. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.